One day, Dr. George C. Neal found himself somewhere few humans have ever gone before. In March 2022, you were in space. Is that right? That is right. How long were you there for? The total mission was just a suborbital space flight, so just up and back down, just over 10 minutes. But it was an incredible and awesome experience. It's called the Final Frontier for a reason. Only a few hundred people in all of recorded human history have been to space. So statistically speaking, it's something very few of us will ever get to see, but many of us dream of experiencing, George included. So I've actually been interested in aviation and space my entire life and used to cut out newspaper articles and collect pictures from Life magazine and make a scrapbook for myself as we were hearing about the space chimps and (laughs) the Mercury astronauts and all the rest. Uh, Grew up, studied math and science and went to the Air Force Academy to help me to learn more about the aerospace field and so forth. Was in the Air Force and worked for NASA and in the FAA, Office of Commercial Space Transportation. So I've always had this interest in space. But it didn't appear that I was going to have a chance to personally... But he got lucky when Blue Origin announced they were auctioning off seats on some of their very first flights. I flew on the fourth human space flight on March 31st. That is amazing. And then you came back down, and it must have just been the most surreal experience. It was awesome, really. It's hard to put into words. Uh, People talk about the best book they've ever read and how that changed them, or they saw a particularly good show or a movie or a special song that somehow moves them or or warms their heart. Uh, This was all of those rolled into one. Today on Curiosity, if you haven't already guessed, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie, reporting for duty. Buckle in for a suborbital mission as we see space through the eyes of George Neald. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, we're talking to Dr. George C. Neald. For the folks at home, Callie, who is George Neald? Dr. George C. Neald is currently the Associate Administrator for Commercial Space Transportation at the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA. He has over 30 years of aerospace experience and has worked with the Air Force and NASA. Dr. Neald came to the FAA from the Orbital Sciences Corporation, where he served as a senior scientist for the Advanced Programs Group. He has a wealth of experience from working as an astronautical engineer at the Space and Missile Systems Organization to working on the Shuttle Mir program and the International Space Station program. So George knows a lot about space. Yeah, he does. He spent his career as a space researcher, but it wasn't until this flight that he actually got to see the thing he spent his whole life studying. And we're going to learn more about space today from Dr. George. But before we take off, Nate, do you want to give us a little rundown on what we'll be covering today? Yeah, I heard the word suborbital at the beginning. George went on a suborbital spaceflight. Yes, Uh, what does that mean? Great question. If we break down the word, we have sub, which means under, and orbital. And in this case, we're talking about the Earth's orbit, as in its orbital patterns. A suborbital flight reaches outer space, but stays close enough to Earth not to make a full orbit of the planet or fully escape the atmosphere. That takes a lot more power and generates a lot of heat for exit and re-entry. I've seen a lot of movie spaceships burst into flames re-entering the atmosphere. Yeah, a lot of commercial space flights want to avoid that. Which is the perfect segue into my next topic. Nate, give me the rundown on Blue Origin. 
Blue Origin is a suborbital space flights and aeronautic manufacturing company founded by Jeff Bezos. Their mission is to make space travel both more accessible and more sustainable. They have contracts with NASA, Boeing, and the United States Space Force, among others. The company has been auctioning off flights on their reusable rockets. And when George heard about the auctions, he wanted in on the action. I thought that would be great, so filled out all the paperwork and put in a bid. Uh, However, the price rapidly climbed and did not end up winning the auction. But later on, the company got back with me and was able to find a slot on a later flight. So I flew on the fourth human space flight on March 31st. That is amazing. And then you came back down, and it must have just been the most surreal experience. The weightless experience, which we had about three minutes, was just amazing to be able to to float around and do somersaults and all the rest. It was fun. It was exciting. But the high point of the flight for me, without a doubt, was the view. They have six people on board, and every seat is a window seat. Great big (laughs) window right next to your seat. And after we had blasted off to be able to look down and see the curvature of the Earth and that thin blue band that is the atmosphere, and then above it is the black sky. And it's the blackest black that you could ever imagine. It it was just, frankly, the the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, really. I get goosebumps and (laughs) choke up a little bit just thinking about it. Just an incredible opportunity to see the planet below. To study something for your entire life and then finally get to experience it is so cool. What was the preparation like for a flight like that? Regular astronauts have years of training. This was a little different. George was not leaving the Earth's atmosphere, so he definitely had to do some training, but nothing compared to the years of instruction that is normally required. Most of the rest of the training was frankly just practicing getting in and out of your seat, both (laughs) in one gravity on the ground before launch and after landing, and in weightlessness in space, because that is a different experience to try to connect all your belts and harnesses when uh, they're floating in front of your face instead of just sitting on the seat. Got it. So in the next few years, someone could presumably board a space shuttle like a bus and just take off? Not quite. Again, astronauts spend years, sometimes a decade, learning everything about their craft and their mission. This is very different. Going back to your analogy, George isn't the one driving the bus, so he didn't have to take his driver's license test. But Blue Origin did have a three-day training course to help acclimatize the passengers with the new shepherd. First, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the training was we spent a lot of time in a a mock-up capsule for a a simulator, which looked just like the real thing, with the seats laid out, the displays, and so forth. But Blue Origin had previously made a recording of all the noises and the sounds that would take place during the flight on a previous mission. And they played that back for us while we were doing the rehearsals. And so you'd hear the fans going and the clanks and the bangs and the sound of the engine that would probably be rather (laughs) nerve-wracking. And people would wonder, what what is that? Is everything okay? But having been through that time after time during the practice, we were all prepared for that. So when we heard the countdown and and the noises of the fans and the engine light, it was something that we were prepared for. Here's what you need to know about the rocket and the capsule. Here's the timeline of things that will occur. 
Here's the display that you'll see in front of you. Here's how you talk on the radio. And then reviewing all the emergency procedures of, of what could go wrong and what you'd have to do in response to that. Wait, he said rocket and capsule. Is that the same as a shuttle? I actually had the same question. Uh, spoiler, it's not. So the shuttle is, is the nickname for the space shuttle, which, of course, uh, NASA operated for 30 years. And, and that was really a different kind of thing. It actually went mm-hmm. into orbit around the Earth. This had a capsule on top of a, a booster. What's different about this is both the booster, the rocket, and the capsule are completely reusable. Fantastic. And so that is going to be the key to how we're going to start bringing the cost back down. Another key difference is the spacecraft was completely autonomous. So there was no pilot on board. There was no pilot on the ground. The computer was dictating how the flight proceeded. And so that sounds terrifying. Some people might be concerned (laughs) about that. Another way to look at it, though, is there's no pilot error. There's no (laughs) No opportunity for somebody to mess it up. Once you've got that computer and the software the way you need it to be, it does a great job of having everything take place at the right time and in the right sequence. And so that was, frankly, very comforting. So back to your question. In this particular case, since we didn't have any particular duties in terms of flying the spacecraft or experiments to perform, it was just the experience itself that we were going through. Did he say autonomous flight? No pilot? That's going to be a no from me. Weirdly enough, autonomous flights are more common than you might think. Some sources say that 93% of regular flight functions on commercial airliners today are automated, and those who preach the benefits of autonomous flights often say that 80% of accidents are caused by human error. So, there's a general consensus in the aviation industry that moving towards autonomy is the best way forward. If I were sitting on the launch pad of a non-piloted spaceflight, I'd be scared. Well, maybe you would be, but George was not. I was surprisingly calm. Again, this was a huge milestone, certainly in my life, and I recognize there is risk associated with spaceflight still today, but this is something I've been working towards my entire life and and most of my professional career. And I was very impressed with the, the team at Blue Origin in terms of their capabilities, professionalism, the way they had designed the the systems, and so felt pretty good. We had had enough training to get to know one another on the crew and know what to expect during the flight, and we felt like we were ready to go. Um, This part is probably a little bit more difficult to describe, but can you try and give us a picture of what liftoff itself felt like? Now, I've heard astronauts who flew on the space shuttle say that when they lift off, it feels like you're getting kicked in the pants, a real (laughs) sudden jolt. This was not that way. It was a very smooth but rapid acceleration, pushing you back in your seats. We had like three Gs during ascent, so that means that you were being pushed back as though you weighed three times as much or there was something heavy sitting on your chest as you were doing the liftoff. And then you just see the clouds in the sky and the ground go by and... Pretty soon, we were going more than 2,000 miles an hour, faster than a rifle bullet. And it's just an incredible thing. And then when the engine stops, the capsule separates, 
we got to unbuckle and start that three minutes of weightlessness. So just quite an experience. That sounds unbelievable. It is. And it's almost as unbelievable to think that one day you or I could be up there too. I asked George about the future of commercial space flights, and he said he saw a major shift happening. If you go back to the dawn of the space age, almost every major milestone and significant accomplishment in space was done by governments. Whether it was Project Mercury, Project Gemini, the Apollo moon landings, 30 years of flying the space shuttle, and then building and living and working on board the International Space Station. That was governments that was responsible for all that was happening. Going forward, though, that is not necessarily always going to be the case. We're seeing private industry have a more significant role. And I think that the so-called space tourism is a perfect example of that. How soon do you think space travel is going to be feasible as a commercial flight sort of situation? I, I think we're going to see more people flying every year. We're going to see a lot of progress being made. Um, NASA is working with co other companies to have commercial space stations as, as early as 2030. And we also, I expect to see, have companies pursuing what is referred to as point-to-point -point transportation through space. So be able to take off from one place on the Earth, fly to the opposite side of the Earth in, say, an hour by flying through space. I think that's going to be a game changer instead of 20 hours on an airliner mm -hmm. to be able to talk to people, to travel, and to do business in that kind of a timeline. And I see that coming in the, in the next 10 years or so. So it's, it's not quite there yet, but some exciting things are happening. And I see a lot of uh, progress in space in just the next few years. I think the more we fly, the more we learn, the more we understand how to build these systems more safe, more reliable, more cost-effective, we're going to see a lot of great opportunities. Just the same way that aviation evolved in 100 years of flying airplanes, mm -hmm. started out, a lot of fatal accidents, a lot of strange-looking designs, and now that's the safest way to travel. My hope is we're going to have that same kind of evolution for, for space systems, and we'll either experiment with how they're designed, how they're built, what kind of capabilities they'll have, what kind of backup systems we use, and so forth, or in how we use those systems to conduct life science research, cures for various diseases, how to have a better life on Earth through what we learn from space. What a beautiful sentiment to end on. If you're curious about space, we tend to cover it regularly on Curiosity, so stay tuned for more. Thank you so much to Dr. George C. Neild for joining us today to talk about his space flight. I hope to get there one day myself. Until then, I'll just keep enjoying life on Earth. Well, good. If you stay here, that means you get to tune into next week's conversation with another member of the Explorers Club. Someone who is dedicating his exploration to uncover something on Earth. A long-buried shipwreck. Well, the, big, the, the key attraction in this wreck is that cultural connection. It was an incredible tragedy at the time. I want to say one of the worst maritime accidents in Mexico's history, with over 130 people killed. It's during a very prominent time in uh, U.S. history during the gold rush era. And that west coast of Mexico is littered with uh, steamships, literally from uh, Nicaragua all the way up to San Francisco. It's incredible the amount of wrecks that litter the Pacific coast of the United States. And it brings forth that, that spirit of uh, entrepreneurialism that the American spirit has 
that they're willing to gamble everything in order to pursue their destiny. And a lot of people didn't make it. See you back here next week. And until next time, stay curious. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery executive producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Discovery coordinating producer is Krishna San Nicholas. This show is hosted by us, Callie Gade and Nate Bonham. Our showrunner is Matt Mayer. Our writers are James Lynch and Jordan Trout. Our researcher is Thomas Martin Messersmith. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Callie Gade. And I'm Nate Bonham. We'll see you next week. 